Uh, I went to a Christian liberal arts university in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. And uh, one day I was sitting in the cafeteria and across my line of sight walked this beautiful young woman. You know what I'm saying? And I thought, oh, I, I need to meet that person. And she walked off and went to class and I was sitting there shoveling my face and I'd, I was too scared to talk to her at that point anyway. But a few days later, I ended up at a choir audition and we were both auditioning for the same choir. So a few people before me is that same girl. And she, she, she stepped up and she started singing and she had the voice of an angel. And she was doing like sign language while she was singing. And I was like, this woman is perfect. I must know her. And so we actually both got selected to be in that choir. And then after that, we got selected to go travel with a traveling worship team. And we went to Nigeria together. And so we're in Nigeria and I'm getting to know this woman in in the most difficult circumstances. And she's incredible on the inside and she loves Jesus. And I was absolutely smitten. And so she had a boyfriend at the time, which was unfortunate for her. And so I, I was always like, I was interested. My roommate in college, he knew that I was interested. And he was a good roommate because he would always ask her, so are you still dating that guy? And she'd say, yes, I am. And he would say, no, well, okay. So, and he would leave. One day he came back to the dorm and he said, dude, they broke up. Now, my dad has always told all of us, uh, his sons, that we're a little too slow when it came to asking out girls. I don't know why he says this, but he would say that. And so I thought, well, this is a sensitive time for her. So I let her grieve for an hour and then I called her. (laughs) Called her up and we went out and it kind of started and I was absolutely smitten. I wanted her to have my time. I wanted her to have my money. I had very little of it. I was a poor college kid. I, I wanted her to have my words. I wanted to think about her. I wanted to talk about her with my roommate. I wanted to talk to her. I was absolutely smitten and devoted until one night when in a Barnes and Noble parking lot, she dumped me. Yeah, I know. And I'm telling you, I had given everything so far. Like, I had given so much. Uh, I I had made crafts for this woman. I'm a young college man making crafts. I created a storybook out of construction paper, and I bound it with, like, leather straps. And I, I like, put, uh, like, shoelaces. That was getting weird. And I, um, I was... I made, I like cut out pictures and I made a storybook of our lives and it was beautiful. I decoupaged for this woman. So if you're like, what? <laughs> Don't worry about it. I had given so much and she dumped me. And so I was heartbroken and I drove her back to the dorms and I, I kind of, we pulled up to the dorms and I, I got out and I said, listen, it's really okay. And I, I leaned over and I kissed her on the cheek. Messed her up. Messed her up good. And so we went to the dorms, and I sent her a message that night and said, we don't have to be together like that, but I'm not going to let you just walk out of my life. You're important to me. I took the pressure off a little bit, and that gave her a little freedom and a little space. And so, so eventually, a few months later, we met just after Christmas break and said, what do you think? And she said, yes, I think we should give this a try and see if this can work. I often wonder what happened to that woman. Just kidding. That was my wife. It was my wife. And so, so we, we actually, so we got married and we have been devoted to one another ever since with three incredible kids and just absolutely loving life. Some of you have had experiences like this 
where you became devoted, you became smitten. You became devoted to somebody or something. Your heart became devoted. You wanted to give it away, and we're going to talk about that today. Most of you know that we're in this series called The Surrender Solution, and Pastor Ross has been talking about what it means to be a disciple, and we're digging in on this idea, and you've seen a lot of this. We've started with the core of this, which is really love and obedience. You have to have both love for Jesus, obedience to Jesus. These are synonymous. And this whole process that we're going through, Pastor Ross has taught us that it's, number one, it's relational. It involves a relationship with God and a relationship with other people. You can't do without that. That it's also intentional. None of this happens by accident. You'll never wake up one day and go, oh, I'm a disciple. It doesn't work that way. It takes intent on our part. That it's also spiritual. It's so much more than just curriculum or knowing the right information. This is really about the spirit of God working in us. And it's cyclical. We'll kind of circle around and dig deeper on some of the issues in life and get deeper and deeper in our devotion and our relationship with Jesus. And so we've talked so far about vulnerability. That was a couple weeks ago, and how important it is to be vulnerable. You don't want to do it, but I'm just telling you, it's so important to open up your life and let people speak in. It's worth the risk. And then last week, Pastor Ross talked about identity and who we are in Christ. And so this is where we are. And I, I, heard, a, I heard a quote this week, and it kind of messed me up a little bit. And so I thought, hey, why don't I mess you up too? It was from a guy named Neil Cole. He's a pastor and a church planter. And maybe you've heard it. He said, ultimately... Each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, Tay, you know what I'm saying? It's really good though, really good though. It doesn't matter how good your praise, your preaching, Pastor Ross, preaching your programs or your property are, if your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. Welcome to church, everybody. I'm thankful for a pastor who's pushing in to make sure that our church is good. And that's where we are headed, where we've been for a while and where we're headed. So today we're going to talk about devotion. What comes to mind when I say the word devotion? If you look it up, you, you see that it's love, care, and support for somebody or something. You might read that it's spending a lot of time or, or energy on something or even someone. Some of you, when I say devotion, you might think of the private act of prayer and worship. Or, or maybe you think of having a quiet time. That's what we say a lot about. I had my morning devotions. Or you might think about just attending church like you're doing right now. So what happens, we think about all these things, we end up, we're devoted to our spouses, we are, I'm devoted to mine. We're devoted to our significant, other, significant others, we get devoted to our careers. I've seen New Testament level of devotion for fantasy football. <laughs> Come on, okay, I'll take it easy. Other sports, baseball, I don't know why people like baseball, but they do. Uh, deep devotion to our children, making sure that everything is perfect and they look and act just right. And these are good things, but when they begin to become our focus, you know, we start to have trouble. It goes awry. Maybe you, you get devoted to a, a show on Netflix or Disney+. Plus. My family's been watching Andor on Disney+, Plus and really enjoying it. You're saying, what? Don't worry about it. Uh, or you get devoted to Instagram or TikTok and spend a lot of time there. Maybe you get devoted to your hobbies and things that you like to do. I enjoy underwater basket weaving. I don't know. You just got weird stuff that you like to do. Nothing wrong with a little entertainment, but after a five-hour binge, it's like, man, I'm left a little wanting, and I feel a little gross. 
and I'm missing out on some piece of life. Maybe for you, you think about reading the Bible for a few minutes in the morning and I toss up a quick quiet prayer in my morning Devo. Or maybe you think about being here and devoted means I'm gonna go all in on the church. I'm going all in on the church. Here's the thing, a lot of people have gone all in on the church and they end up just being really busy. You can go all in on the church, but still not be transformed by the Spirit of God. Just going to church is enough. More often than not, I think the reality is we just end up devoted to a lot of different things. Yes, I give my heart to my spouse. I give some to my career. I'm tired sometimes, so I do devote a little time to Netflix seasons. I, I give a little private time for Jesus. But devotion is this. It's the fact or state of being ardently or passionately dedicated and loyal. Ardently dedicated and loyal. And you can't give that kind of devotion to everything or everyone. And actually, that kind of devotion only belongs to one. So we have devotion, things in our lives that we're devoted to, but where is our focus? This is the question we're asking today. Where is our focus? What has our priority? Or who has our priority? Because if we don't think about that, we end up being in danger of what Tozer called living with God and. I live with God and something else. My priority is God and Netflix. (laughs) I like God. I want to serve God and my career. Or actually, you might reverse it and say, a lot of us live with and God. I've got my spouse and God. I've got my career and God. I'm just telling you, he's the only one that's worthy of it. He's the only one that can take it. He's the only one that we can give this to. So the heart posture for a disciple is wholehearted devotion to King Jesus. If we get this wrong and we add and, what happens is we end up being discipled by the other thing that we're trying to prioritize. And that is not where we want to be. So I want you to listen to King David, how he describes to his son Solomon how he wants him to live as king of Israel in 1 Corinthians 28, 9. He says, and you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. As you read through the scriptures, you see more about wholehearted devotion. Matthew 6, 24, we see Jesus in a conversation about money. Jesus says, nobody can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. You can't serve God and your career. You can't serve God and Netflix. And then in 1 Corinthians 7.35, the Apostle Paul, he gives his advice on being single or being married and essentially saying, look, if you can be single, it's better because you're not divided in your devotion. Here's what he says. Marriage is great, but if you can stay single, hey, single people, hey, we see you. If you can stay, there's an incredible thing that can happen in that season where you can live with undivided devotion. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way. Here it is in undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion. When we say that we're wholeheartedly devoted to something, what we're saying is I am faithful to that thing. I am dedicated. I am fervent. I am single-minded. I am loyal. I'm loyal to that. I'm loyal to him. So as disciples of Jesus, that's what we do. We prioritize. We put him first and foremost. We look to him. We seek him always. Undivided devotion means that our first and foremost loyalty is to King Jesus. But in our culture, love and devotion have kind of undergone this shift. 
where today we tend to think of love and devotion more like, like feelings that I have. Love and devotion, it's a feeling that I get. I can fall into love, and I can fall right back out. It's a feeling or a mood that I'm in, rather than a commitment and a conviction. I think this is what we're after today. Because there's been this redefinition in our culture, our, our culture suffers from a, a lack of determination and a lack of perseverance. I mean, you see, you do it sometimes. You're in that show on Netflix, and you're loving it until one or two bad shows, and you're like, nah, I'm out. Actually, that might be a good thing for you, so maybe keep that one going. But we devote time to a football team until a losing streak, and we're like, nah, I don't know. Unless you're a diehard fan, and then you're crazy. We commit to eat healthy and exercise until lunch comes around that day (laughs) and it looks pretty good we too easily we fall in and out of love with our spouses we get committed to a really important cause until it's a little too inconvenient for my schedule got a lot going on we recommit to spending time with Jesus until I'm just really busy with that project right now God and so I just don't quite have the time I think the truth is we often live with divided devotions because our devotion gets divided, we actually end up not being faithful, not, not being dedicated, not being loyal to him. I'm not wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly leaning towards Jesus, becoming more like him. And when I'm not intentional with my faith like that, I think what happens, and I've seen it happen through my years as a pastor, I think what happens when we don't live with that kind of intent is that we end up living in sort of a gospel of sin management, where my whole faith, my whole disciple journey is really just about managing my own sin. So my whole week is like, oh, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Oh, shoot, I sinned. I gotta repent, I gotta go to church, I gotta fix it. Okay, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Oh, I did it again. I gotta call my accountability partner. I gotta confess. Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Oh, I think a lot of us live that way. And I just want to be really clear today and tell you that God has so much more for you than living like that. There's a whole deeper, more beautiful, more purposeful life that God is calling us into, and that's where we're going. So there's a group of people that you may or may not have heard of. They're called the Desert Fathers. The Desert Fathers, most of you know about how early Christians, they experienced some persecution, and first from from the, their own Jewish people, the Jewish community that they were a part of, and then from the Roman Empire. And at some point, a Roman emperor named Constantine ends up, excuse me for the, for the history lesson, everybody's like, just hang with me, we're going somewhere. Constantine ends up Christianizing uh, the empire, and so Christian faith essentially becomes mainstream, and when it becomes mainstream, it gets corrupted. Like everybody's, everybody's kind of reading about God, but, but nobody's doing what God had said. And it all went south. So during that season, there's a group of people that decided they were going to move outside of the city. They were going to move outside of the city into the desert. And they were going to devote themselves to reading the scriptures, to learning about Jesus, to practicing his ways. This is kind of the beginning of the monastic movement, actually. And so these guys and gals, they lived some powerfully devoted lives. And there's actually really insane stories that come out of this season. Insane stories about what God did and supernatural things. And and people would actually go out and journey to the desert to learn from them how to follow Jesus. So the story of these two, these two desert fathers, Abba Lot and Abba Joseph. I'm going to read you the story. It says, Abba Lot went out to see Abba Joseph and said to him, Abba, as far as I can, I say my little office, or morning devo, 
I fast a little, I pray and meditate, I live in peace, and as far as I can, I purify my thoughts. What else can I do? And the old man, he stood up, and he stretched his hands toward heaven, says his fingers became like ten lamps of fire, and he said to him, if you will, you can become all flame. Everyone's like, whoa. This is a little much. Friends, a little much in 2022. This is a little much in Austin in 2022. What are you talking about? You can become all flame. Pastor Joseph says, if, Abba Joseph says, if you will, you can become all flame. You can live with wholehearted devotion for Jesus. You can become like Jesus. You can do what he did. This is what we used to call in certain circles being on fire for Jesus. <laughs> you remember that? That guy's on fire. That guy gave his life to Jesus. He made on fire. I sound like Britt Hancock. I don't know why that happened, but that's what we're talking about. But many of us, there's this opportunity available, but many of us are just settling for far too little. We're satisfied with just a quick morning devo and checking the religious box for the day. We're kind of impressed with ourselves a little bit. We just fast a little bit, and it's good. We're pretty happy with a quiet life of personal devotion that doesn't really move out and affect anybody else. But God is inviting us into something bigger and better and more wonderful, what Abba Joseph called all flame. If you're not with me, look at it in Scripture. 2 Timothy 1, 6-7, Paul says, For this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And you can do it, for the Spirit of God does not make us timid or fearful, but he gives us power and love and self-discipline. Look, you got to remember with me that through the Scriptures, God is a consuming fire. Abraham, he enters into covenant with God and God kind of shows up as a fiery burning pot moving around. Moses encounters God in the burning bush. When the Ten Commandments come down on Mount Sinai, the children of Israel, they look up and see God in fire. God leads the children of Israel by a pillar of fire by night. Solomon, he dedicates the temple and fire and smoke fill the place so the, the priests can't even do their jobs. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in the upper room and they see tongues of fire on their heads. So private devotion, a little fasting, a little purifying your mind like Abelot, those are all good. I'm not saying they're not good. But why would we settle for it when there's so much more? Why would we stop there when there's so much more available? What Revelation 3 calls being hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but instead, if you're acting lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is where we want to head. I want to be all flame, consumed with God, devoted wholeheartedly to what he's doing in the earth, devoted wholeheartedly to him. So the question becomes, well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I know? How do I know what my devotion is like? Well, there are many ways, I think, to do this, but we're going to take inventory today on a few ways. Because I think wholehearted devotion can be measured by our talk, by our treasure, and by our time. Let's just take inventory really quick. We'll start with talk. We'll take inventory of our talk. You can tell a lot, of person, a lot about a person from the way that they talk. My wife is from uh, upstate New York. She's from the Buffalo area. And they're all a little bit uh, influenced, I think, by Canada. And so they all have a peculiar way of talking. When we go fly for a vacation or something to visit her parents, we're on the plane, and when I get on the plane, everything kind of changes. Everybody starts to look a little bit different, kind of the same, and they all kind of talk a little bit different, and they say weird things. And all my life with my wife, she has said words like, instead of fire, she says, 
Foyer. Her dad's name is Mike. It's Mike, but it's Mike. When we go to the fridge, we pull out some ice. I'm sorry, did you say ice? Yes, ice. What's the matter with ice? I, it's really weird. And they all have it. They all say things like, oh, what the heck? It's very interesting. And whenever I hear it, I'm like, oh, from the Northeast. That person's from the Northeast. That person's from Buffalo. I know that person. You can tell a lot about it. Here's Luke chapter 6. He says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. You can know a lot about a person from the way they talk. What you say flows from outside of your, from out of your heart. If, if you would have asked my college roommate what I was like when I was trying to chase down Maria, he would have said, that guy is so annoying. He just talks about her all the time. I come home from, you know, come to the dorm room from a long day of class, and I'm like, bro, Maria did the cutest thing today. You should have seen it. He's like, oh, stop. You're disgusting. But I'm devoted. I'm excited about it. And why is that? It's because she was in my heart. And so she came out of my heart. It's the same thing that happens to you. Listen, I sit around. I don't play fantasy football because I don't know what I'm doing. But I, that's not that funny. But I listen to the conversations. I sit around the table at lunch and everybody's talking about fantasy football. It's pouring out of your hearts. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Some of you pour out your hearts over pumpkin spice latte season. You do. What's in your heart just comes out. All that stuff, it comes from a place inside of you of deep devotion. So all the bad stuff, all the sin and the foolishness that's in there, that stuff comes out. Along with all the good stuff that's in there, the kindness and goodness, encouraging people, that all comes out too. Your words aren't the source of all of that. Your heart is the source of it. James 3, 2 through 10, he talks about this. I'm going to jump down a little bit, but he says, A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Among all parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire and is itself set on fire and it, it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but nobody can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing pour out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. And no, it is not right. And James says, the way that I control my tongue will reflect how I control the rest of me. The way I control my tongue shows, it reflects the way that I've got control of my life. And he says, it's small, but it's powerful. And life and death is in it. And oh, by the way, nobody can tame it. Praises God, curses others. What you say flows from what's going on inside of you. So if you want to know where your devotion lies, just take a little inventory of what's coming out of your mouth. What Ephesians 4 says, are you using words to build others up and no unwholesome talk is coming out? If you just take a little time, write down for a week what's coming out. Pay attention to what's coming out. You'll learn a lot about where your devotion lies. So rather than that, rather than talking about all those other things, what if when you go into work, the goodness of God is pouring out of your mouth? What if when you are hanging out with your family, good things are pouring out and you're encouraging your children and you're noticing the great things that are going on in their lives and calling out what Jesus is doing in their lives? This is where we want to live. 
Another way, though, to take inventory is in your treasure. Did you know that nearly half of the parables of Jesus were about money or material possessions? So he talks about money and possessions a lot. Why? Because they are constantly vying for our devotion. Our hearts quickly and easily go to stuff. 1 Timothy 6, 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He says that money isn't the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money that brings so much destruction. And it's constantly vying for our devotion as we worry about whether or not we're going to have enough of it. And the question we're often asking is, well, do I have the money? Like, do I have the money? I want to go to Disney. Do I have the money to go to Disney? I mean, we go to Disney sometimes, but I just go to prayer walk. That's the only reason I go there. So just so you know, <laughs> just that's the only reason because, you know. I want to go, <laughs> I want to go, and I, I want to go get some coffee with my friends. Do I have the money to go grab coffee with my friends? The question that we should constantly be asking is not, do I have the money? The question that we have to be asking is, does money have me? Does money have control of my heart? Am I gripped by it? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son. God is generous. God is a giver. And you and I, we reflect his nature when we become generous. And we're not just talking about money. We're talking about our time. We're talking about the way in which we live. But we start to show others what God is like when we give. It's why today Pastor Ross talked a little bit about tithing, about giving. I've heard him say many times that tithing, tithing is a word that means a tenth, giving a tenth of your income. Tithing is like training wheels for generosity. When you just decide, I'm going to give, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to put my faith and trust in God. It's like training wheels helping you to develop generosity in your life. So if you want to become a generous person, I would challenge you to just try. Just start giving to the local church. Start tithing. And if you're like, I can't give 10%. Are you crazy? Then just start small. Start with 1% of your income. Try to move to 3% when you can. Move to 5% when you can. And I'm just telling you, watch what God will do. But tithing is one of the most tangible, tangible, practical, measurable ways to express devotion. Because when I give faithful, and my wife do, my wife and I, we do with every check, we give 10% because we trust. Because I want to say to him, God, I, I am devoted to you. And so even if I'm nervous about the bills that I got to pay and the foundation issues that I have in my house right now, you feel me? I'm going to give this to you because I trust you and because you're worthy and because I'm devoted to you. It's just one of the ways that I show it. And then finally, time. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, Paul says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, and making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. That seems to be really difficult in our day and in our culture and the way we live. You're like, man, I can barely make the least of every opportunity. Like, I'm doing everything I can, but I, I'm just too busy. I am too stressed. I am running too fast to be able to do this. It feels like that because my life is fast-paced. It's over-busy in the stressed-out culture that we live in. And Paul here is challenging the Ephesian believers, be really careful how you live every day. Because something is out there, and it's lurking in the days in which we live, and it's evil. Like the fruits of the devil. 
I'm sorry, that was, a, that was a really old movie quote and it just came out of me and I apologize. It seems like even 2,000 years ago, humans had a problem with how they spent their time. Have you ever heard the saying, uh, idle hands are the devil's playground? Probably had a grandma that said that. But Paul, he's pushing on something here that's more profound. What Dallas Willard says when he says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of spirituality in our day. I'm too fast. I got too much going on. I, I don't have time for you, Jesus. I'm too busy. I can't be interrupted in my day because I'm going too fast. I'm scheduled. I am totally full. You want to interrupt me with somebody? You want me to take a side and spend some time and praying over somebody? I can't do that. I am far too busy for it. I think you've all heard Pastor Ross say that order determines capacity. When you prioritize the right things, everything fits. It's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. But when we don't prioritize devotion, everything else doesn't fit and it all starts to go awry. We start taking ourselves out of the position to receive from God what he wants to give to us. And God knows that we have trouble with our time. And that's why he hardwired into us a spiritual practice, hardwired into creation, a spiritual practice that refreshes us. It's called the Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath. Sabbath. Exodus 34, 21 says, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. We've talked a lot about this, so I'm not gonna go in depth on that idea. But listen to the rest of the verse. Even during the plowing season and the harvest, you must rest. Wait a minute. So, Sabbath is a 24-hour period of worship, rest, and delight in God. And so I'm not performing. I'm not producing. I'm just chilling. And so I'm worshiping God. And you're saying that I am supposed to do that even when I'm really busy? Yes. Even during the harvest season? Yes. Even during the plowing season? Like, God, I got to get those crops in. God, I got to get the report in. God, I got to get my homework done. God, I got to get all the things done. I don't know if I'm going to have enough time. He says, yes, you will. And you know what's happened to me? When I've decided to practice Sabbath and slow down and stop performing and stop working, stop producing, and give God this 24-hour period, I find every time that he blesses my time and I get done the things that I'm worried about. It's weird. It's like I can do more in my life in six days with him than I can in seven without him. And it has worked over and over and over again. So we do it all the time. We're New Testament believers now, and we don't, we don't really have legal requirements to practice Sabbath today. We'd say there's some argument and debate about that. But this is an opportunity that you get invited into, everybody. It's an opportunity. In fact, the scripture says that the Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift that God has given you. It's a life-giving reminder from Jesus who says in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke, it's easy, and my burden is light. Sabbath is a way that I can stop performing, I can stop producing, and I can devote myself to God. And I would encourage you to give it a try. 
as we close here this morning, uh, the author of Hebrews kind of encourages us in this earnest devotion, this wholehearted devotion. Hebrews 6.11 says, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. Other translations say, so that you may not be lazy. Some people have said bored. (laughs) But instead you'd be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit all those promises. So it seems that for some there's a tendency to get a little lazy, (laughs) to divide devotion, to live in sin management, And I think that's what happens. When your devotion gets too divided and you don't have a focus and you don't have him as the priority, I think you end up in sin management. I think you end up a little bored with faith. So Pastor John Tyson, he's in New York and he developed a tool to kind of help us understand why we might get a little bored. And he calls it the redemptive edge. And it really spoke to me and I wanted to share it with you really quick just before we go. He says that, and I think, it's, I think actually what it is, it's a, it's a picture of what wholehearted devotion looks like and what happens when we do it. So really, really quickly, it's a continuum. The redemptive edge is a continuum that we journey on as disciples. And so it starts when you come to Jesus and you start, and you actually start in comfort. I'm living my life pretty good. I feel good. I get to do kind of whatever I want. Yeah, I gave my life to Jesus and I'm loving it. It's awesome. But I still get to have Netflix as long as I want and I'm binging a show and it's amazing. I love comfort. I love a warm blanket. We have this thing called comfort food, and I love it so much. Some mac and cheese and mashed potatoes. We love comfort. But if you continue to follow Jesus as a disciple, what happens is you actually get to a place of caution, where now people that are watching your life are like, hey, man, are you okay? Because, like, you're not really hanging out with us like you used to, and we're just, we're just there's a little caution in the way that they speak to you, because, hey, something is now different about you. You moved out of comfort into caution now. And then as you continue on in your journey as a disciple, you might end up in concern. Have you said, has it happened to you? People are like, uh, hey man, like, are you good? Because like, I saw that you were like, you were at the one day retreat, it's like a whole day on Saturday. You didn't come play golf with us. Like, are you, are you good? Like, I'm, I'm a little nervous for you. I saw on Instagram that you got, like, you got baptized? Like, you went a, are, you in a, are you in a weird thing? Are you okay? Just blink if you're not okay. Uh, are, you, are you all right? Some of you have experienced this. Your friends, they have concern for you. And if you keep following Jesus in wholehearted devotion, you actually get further down to a place of criticism. Where people are like, hey, man, like, I think you're in a cult. I think you're, like, I don't, I don't know if you should be doing that. I don't. I don't really like the, the words you're saying. Like, I, I, I feel funny when I'm around you. Like, I, 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 what's going on with you? And you end up in criticism from friends, criticism from the people who liked you when you were comfortable. And then if you continue on in your faith journey, John Tyson says where you end up is a place of darkness, where you actually end up stepping into the darkness in wholehearted devotion to King Jesus, watching the kingdom of God come to bear on families and at your workplace and in your own life, seeing people transformed and changed, seeing miracles happen, seeing incredible things coming through because you are a wholehearted disciple of Jesus, walking into the darkness with Jesus and seeing transformation.
It's really pretty amazing. But do you know where Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry? Right between criticism and darkness. Jesus' earthly ministry happens right here, in between those two. This is where he spent his time. I mean, you can think about it for a second. We, he, he ate with sinners. He raged against dead religion. He, he rescues a woman caught in adultery. He, he's traveling through Samaria, like longtime opponents and enemies. Jesus frees the demoniac legion. He spends his time between criticism and darkness. He's, he's, he's pushing back, and the religious leaders are saying, hey, hey, no, 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 and they're criticizing him because he eats with sinners. He's going forward, and he's, he's rescuing a woman caught in adultery. He lived his life there. The question that I just want to ask you as we go is, how much of this is present in your journey as a disciple? Where do you live your life today? Because honestly, most of us, we probably camp out between caution and concern. I stepped out of comfort. It's good. But I got a little caution. My friend's like, hey, something's different about you, and that's good. But I'm pretty happy right here. I feel pretty good. Like, I, I can kind of reach back, and if I want to binge a season, I can binge a season. I can do what I want to do, but, but I'm, but I'm kind of out here on the edge with Jesus. If we're going to go all in, if we're going to live in wholehearted devotion to King Jesus, I think it means that we've got to follow him to where he is. And Jesus lived between criticism on the earth and, and the place of darkness. It means we've got to position ourselves with him. Jesus is over here. If you want to be with him, if you want to live devoted lives to him, then it'll take you there. If we want to live where Jesus isn't, then, okay, but we'll end up a little bored. We'll end up managing our sin. We'll end up with it going awry. You'll give your devotion to somebody or something else. But if you follow Jesus, if you live devoted, if you decide I'm going to do what he's doing, I'm going to go where he's going, I think you'll find you don't want to be devoted to anything else. Because out here with him is the very best place to be. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads? I just want to leave you with what A.W. Tozer said in The Pursuit of God. He said, the evil habit of seeking God and, it effectively prevents us from finding God in full revelation. In the and lies our great woe. If we omit the and, we shall soon find God. And in him we shall find that for which we have all our lives been secretly longing. I wonder today, with your eyes closed, if you would just take a second and you would evaluate, where do you find your time? Where do you find your treasure? Where do you find your talk? In no way am I desiring to be heavy-handed or to push or say you should. Or you, all I'm doing is saying, hey, Jesus has a better life on offer than the ones that we create. And he's inviting us into it to walk, and follow, to walk with him and follow him. And yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, this presents challenges, but there's no better place to be. And so this morning, maybe two groups of people. Number one, you are kind of living in sin management and your whole faith journey is about don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, please don't sin. And God says, hey, I wanna call you back home today and I wanna help you know that through my spirit, you don't have to live that way, there's more for you. 
Or maybe for you, you're living with God and, or you're living with something and God, and today you just want to repent, and you want to put him first. I'm going to pray for, for all of us today. So just open up your hands maybe, open up your heart. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for opening our eyes today to what you're doing, to where you're headed. Lord, we ask in the powerful name of Jesus today that you would forgive us. Father, for, for living overly simplistic, for just worrying so much about us instead of focusing in on you. God, forgive me. Lord, for those of us that are caught up in sin management and just trying so hard not to sin, I pray that you would help us to recall today that your spirit is available to us. And even now, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill my friends that are living with this sin management. Fill them, encourage them, strengthen them, help them to see the better life and to follow you into it. For those of us, God, that are living with God and something else, we want you to know we want you to be our one and only. We want you to be our focus. We want you to be everything that we need. We want you to be everything that we look to. And so we say to you, we put our devotion to you. You are our first and our foremost. Forgive me for replacing you. Forgive me for causing you to share the throne of my heart. I repent of that today, and I am placing you first. Now, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the grace and the power to continue in that journey? Lord, I pray for everybody that's making those decisions today, that you would empower them by your Spirit, that you would give them everything they need to follow you in their disciple journey. We love you, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name.